Welcome to the Revolutionary Health Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Center. I am a licensed clinician in search of how to live a meaningful and healthy life. I challenge both traditional and functional medicine ideologies in search of truth and wisdom. I allow room for curiosity and always keep an open mind. I enjoy deep conversations with my guests, giving them a safe space to share their research and personal observation, as I feel both equally contribute to the body of knowledge and human experience. Note that the opinions of my guests do not always reflect my own, whether I share that openly or not. And of course, the podcast is for educational purposes only. We do not offer medical advice. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for some intimate and unique discussions about finding wellness in the 21st century. Well, hello. Welcome to Revolutionary Health. I am your host, Stephanie Center. I hope you are cozied up with your favorite beverage because this episode is juicy. We all know that your mindset is what either makes or breaks you. But what if we could leverage what we understand about the mind and essentially manipulate our behavior and stop sabotaging our progress towards our goals? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, today we are going to talk about how we can leverage neuroplasticity to train our brains to do what we want so we can reach our health goals and stop getting in our own way. Before I dive in, I want to read a couple of reviews from you, my my listeners, because this warms my heart and it just reiterates why I do what I do. So this review comes from Lucky Elephant. The review is called So Relatable and Inspiring. Lucky Elephant says, I look forward to these episodes every week. It's like listening to a friend who's insanely smart and passionate about what she does. She inspires me to take control of my health and her tips are so accessible. She doesn't recommend you do something that's expensive and unrealistic. She gives you tangible things that you can do and I love it. Thanks so much, Lucky Elephant. I really appreciate your kind words. The second review I want to read is from Pedro Lilly, and this review is entitled So Much I Never Knew. Pedro Lilly says, I love how Stephanie explains everything so well and actually gives you the information you need to make changes, not just vague information that you can't use right away. I will be listening to all of her episodes now. Thanks so much, Pedro Lilly. All right. And the last review I want to read today is from Love This Podcast. And this review is called So Helpful. Love This Podcast says, Stephanie is incredibly knowledgeable and super relatable. It's like you're having tea with a friend. She talks about relevant issues and does an amazing job at explaining not only why they are important, but the history and background behind them. You walk away from each episode with a greater understanding and clear corrective direction for an improved life. I highly recommend. Thanks so much. Love this podcast. If you are listening and you enjoy my podcast, I would love to hear from you. I genuinely read and appreciate every single review that I get. And I am going to make a better habit out of reading more of these because they solidify my why, right? Why I'm here and why I do what I do. If you're listening and you hear something cringeworthy, <laughs> I want to hear from you too. So you can always email me at info.holistichouse at gmail.com with any recommendations you have to make the show better. 
All right, I have two housekeeping items for you and then I promise we will move into our interview. So housekeeping item number one is something that I have been working on behind the scenes for a long, long time and I'm ready to share it with you. So I really wanted to create a place of refuge for healing seekers. If your health is not where you want it to be and you are on a wellness journey, I wanted to create a space just for you. So after months of putting visions and ideas together and planning, it's finally here. And a lot of hiring. I hired a lot of help for this because I am not good on my own, right? So you can visit my new website. It's stephaniecenterwellness.com. So my name is spelled Stephanie with a P-H, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. Center, C-E-N-T-E-R. Yes, that's like in the middle. (laughs) Wellness.com. And you will find resources like my free hormone health assessment and my free gut health assessment. If you have not taken these, these are (laughs) amazing resources. I honestly, I didn't sleep when I came up with the ideas for these. I just had to put all my, I had to pause everything I was doing to create these and get these out in the world because they are so specific. So they're, they're similar, but different, right? One assessment helps you identify what type of hormone problem that you have. And the other one helps you identify what type of gut problem you have. So in the hormone health assessment, I help you identify do you have an excess androgens problem? Do you have estrogen dominance? Are you in adrenal fatigue? Like I asked some pretty specific questions to help kind of hone in on what your problem is. And then based on your score, I have nutrition recommendations and supplement recommendations that you can try immediately. And everything is so neat and organized. It's all linked. So you can just click on the link and order your supplements. Same with the gut health assessment. Um, I tried to narrow it down into like four categories. Do you have malabsorption? Do you have leaky gut? Do you have a stealth infection? Like what do you have going on in your gut? And based on your answers, I have nutritional solutions and supplement solutions for you to try. So I highly recommend if you haven't taken those yet, visit my website, stephaniecenterwellness.com and give those a try. Um, Some of the other things I have on this website are courses. So this is new. Um, I did not have this on my old website. So I currently have two courses up and running right now. One is a parasite cleanse course. And the other is called Own Your Hormones. And Own Your Hormones is a program that I partner with Rachel Hepner. She's a holistic nutritionist. We have done this program for years as either a one-on-one, well, more like a two-on-one because there's two of us. And we've even run it as a group program. And we, it has been such a blessing and so successful that we've had to, in order to scale it, to serve the number of people who are interested in it, we have designed it into a course. Um, But we still keep the personal one-on-one touch. We still meet with you to go over your Dutch test results. But the basic hormone healing information we put in a course that has probably, gosh, I don't know, 12 to 15 hours of video content for you to take notes on. We have worksheets in there. Everything is super, super neat and organized. Um, So anyways, you can check out my courses. 
Uh, something I'm really proud of is on my website, there is a podcast archive. So now that I'm up, you know, in the 60 somethings with episodes, I wanted to have a place where you can go and use a search engine to find information. I get a lot of questions from people like, hey, didn't you have a podcast episode on this? Or didn't you have this person as a guest? And instead of scrolling through 60 some odd episodes, trying to find somebody, you can just go to my website and type in their name in the search engine and all of their episodes will come up. Like I've had Morley Robbins on my podcast six or seven times or eight times or something like that. So you can go in the search engine and type in Morley Robbins and you can binge listen to his episodes. Another thing, if that's not enough, right? (laughs) Another thing I've added is a blog. I've started blogging. This came from just a desire to get more information out there. So I have an Instagram page, which is really fun and engaging, but it's like a bite-sized bit of information, right? I can't write my heart and soul in an Instagram post. My emails are a little bit deeper than that, right? I can share a little bit more, but people get reading fatigue with emails and I get that. So this allows me a place to go just a little bit deeper in sharing information. And it also comes with a search bar. So you can search different topics as my blog grows. And so I've just started, I only have a few blog posts as of now, but I will continue to post weekly and grow an archive of recipes, of hormone health, gut health. I'll have it organized for you, but then you can also search for things. So that is on my website. I have two more things and then I promise I'm done talking about this place. I'm just so, so excited. I've spent so much time and effort on this and I really do feel like it's a one-stop shop for you if you are on a healing journey. I have what I call my favorite things. So again, some of my most frequently asked questions are like, what are your favorite soaps? What is, what's your favorite makeup? What's your favorite, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I have a one-stop shop for all my favorite things. You, and of course I find the greatest deals for you. You can get discounts on everything I recommend on my favorite things page. And last but not least, if you are listening and you're like, I just need to talk to you. I just need an appointment with staff. I don't need to sign up for a program, don't need lab testing. I just need to have a conversation and ask you some burning questions. My office hours are for you. So you can go onto my website, click on office hours and just book a, a, you know, no strings attached hour long one-on-one session with me. And I can answer what, whatever questions you might have. So those are your resources at stephaniecenterwellness.com. I will put a link to that in the show notes. But I wanted to share that with you because I think it's going to be a game changer for your wellness journey. Uh, Housekeeping item number two, and this will be a lot shorter and sweeter. I recently spoke at the Enlivened Wellness Expo in my hometown of Franklin, Tennessee, and I was able to connect with so many amazing people and amazing companies that are truly making this world a better and healthier place. And I have an influx of new people to interview for this podcast. And I am so incredibly excited to share them with you. So stay tuned because I'm about to blow your mind with the types of guests we are going to have this year. But let's talk about my guest today, because it's not every day that you get to chat with a neuroscientist from John Hopkins University, is it? My guest today is Dr. Haley Nelson. She earned her PhD in psychological and brain sciences from the Johns Hopkins University. She's a tenured professor of psychology, 
and is an international speaker. She has over 20 years of teaching experience with students from diverse backgrounds. She has several peer-reviewed research publications and previous research and faculty appointments with the National Institutes of Health and the John Hopkins University, um, and also the University of Pennsylvania. And I know what you're thinking, wow, <laughs> but that's not all. Dr. Haley also founded the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioral Neuroscience, where she offers an amazing certification program in cognitive and behavioral neuroscience for therapists, counselors, and other wellness professionals. In our chat today, we talk about what neuroscience is and how we can leverage it to meet our wellness goals. And if you're listening and you're a coach, we talk about how you can use neuroscience to help your clients reach their goals. We talk about the role of stress in, on our behaviors, both acute versus long-term stress. We talk about why we self-sabotage and how to train our brains to reduce self-sabotaging behavior. And then we kind of end with this interesting discussion about the validity of the Enneagram and the Myers-Briggs scales. You are going to want to stay to the end because Dr. Haley is going to leave you with three tips for increasing your neuroplasticity today. Whew. All right. Will you help me in giving a warm welcome to our guest, Dr. Haley Nelson? Well, hello, Dr. Haley. I'm so excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming to have yes, you on has. the show. <laughs> <laughs> somebody got pregnant. Somebody, I was going to say, somebody had to go get knocked up. <laughs> and Let's it wasn't see. me. <laughs> Been there, done that, and it's done. <laughs> yeah, you have two two children, two boys. Yes, nine year old and five year old. So, and they're both very active boys. So, I have my hands full. <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't, I can't imagine that. I barely can take care of the one, and she's not mobile yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Enjoy the moments. I was watching a commercial just the other day where, you know, like the skin to skin contact and the baby's just like laying on you and you're breathing together and the smell. And I'm like, oh, I miss that, but not, I don't miss it too much, <laughs> but enjoy every single breath and every single smell and sight and sound because it yeah. is gone in a blank. And then all they're going to want to do is throw footballs at you and wrestle at, <laughs> well, maybe not in your case, but that's what happened with me. And now they don't want to lay and cuddle and yeah, yeah. breathe with me. <laughs> I always tell myself the days are long, but the years are short. Mm. So. That is so true though. It really is take in those moments. Well, I'm so grateful to have you today. We haven't had a neuroscientist, but you're so like, so fancy neuroscientist. Ooh, and, <laughs> my title is fancy, but I'm real. <laughs> you are real. And that's what I love about you. Um, we've gotten to know each other over the course of the past, oh, I don't know, year and a half, two year years, half. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there on clubhouse, we do a, a room together on mental wellness. And I love listening to your perspective. And so Really today, what I would love to do for listeners and listeners, um, thank you for submitting your questions. I will read your questions to Dr. Haley as we go through this. I would really love to, you're going to teach us today how to kind of look at the world through a neuroscience perspective and use that to your benefit when you're trying to make behavior changes and you're trying to accomplish your goals. Because a lot of us, I feel like we get in our own way. I feel like Absolutely. most of the conversations I have with clients are like, well, just get out of your own way. Your body's trying to heal. Get out of the way. <laughs> Let it happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we do the, we have these, these habits or behaviors 
that really can, can kind of cause roadblocks. So to start off with, can you kind of give us that, that 30,000 foot view over, you know, what is neuroscience and, and how can we incorporate that in our daily lives? If that's not a loaded question. <laughs> I know. I'm like, do you have a whole semester? Cause that <laughs> is the question that I answer in my semester long course. Um, no, I, okay. So neuroscience is the study of the nervous systems and we have several nervous systems. Everybody always says nervous system, but it is subdivided into central nervous system and peripheral. And then we've got the somatic and autonomic mm -hmm. and then that is further subdivided. So there's lots of different systems that all work together for the main purpose of being able to interact with the environment. It allows us to, through our senses, right? So we're able to see things, hear things, taste things, feel things. And everything that we do is because our nervous system allows us to receive information, to process it, and then to respond to it, right? So that's very big picture, general, you know, what it does. But the study of nervous system and what it can do, if you're actually looking at neuroscience in general, I mean, you can look at it at a cellular level, you can look at it at systems, you could look at it from evolutionary perspectives, behavioral, cognitive, translational. There's so many different mm -hmm. fields of neuroscience and it's such an interdisciplinary subject. So you can be a neuroscientist and really be a physicist and just looking at electrical potential and voltage going across membranes and how ion transfer works that way. Or you could be a neuroscientist and only work with animals and you're just studying behavior and looking at different areas of the brain that are involved in different behaviors. Mm -hmm. So neuroscience in general is a very, very, very broad term. It's very interdisciplinary. Uh, my training and background is in cognitive and behavioral neuroscience, which really is two separate fields, but my training is covers both of them. My PhD work was behavioral neuroscience. I studied male sexual behavior um, and looking at the role of dopamine in the control of it and from an evolutionary perspective. So I was looking at different species and seeing how it's been conserved over 200 million years. Um, but then my education and classroom learning is more of the cognitive neuroscience realm. So how we think thinking about thinking really, and our memory systems mm -hmm. and more of the cognitive and executive functioning processes. So um, now as a professor and in my academy of cognitive and behavioral neuroscience, my goal and passion is being able to relay this information to everyday people, whether it's in the academic setting at my college with students from a diverse background or you know, the, the coaching clients that I work with now, the coaches and holistic practitioners and that run the gamut, we're really understanding how understanding how the brain works, especially when we're talking about human behavior, right. And thoughts, how that can, just as you said, impede people, but then not only understanding how it can be detrimental, but then how you can take mm -hmm. that knowledge and change it so that you can feel empowered to say, okay, yeah, maybe I have experienced trauma in my life or substance use, or I've been eating poorly and have all these bad habits in my life. And I've caused all this damage to my body and my brain. Now understanding more about neuroscience, let's fix it. Let's fix the physical structure of the brain. And we can do this through altering mindset. We can do this through different supplements. We can do this through behavioral techniques, through cognitive techniques. There's a lot of different modalities that it can be so individualized because neuroscience is so broad and it covers so much.
So I just love teaching people about it so they can use that in their practice and in their life to be able to feel that empowerment, to be able to make the change that is necessary for them to thrive. Oh, mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're listening right now and you are a health coach or a practitioner and you find that your clients or your patients, whatever verbiage you prefer to use, if you find that the people you serve are hitting roadblocks Mm -hmm. and they are not meeting the goals that you set for them, Dr. Haley's got a certification program for you so you can better understand how their brain works and how to best kind of meet them where they are to generate the change that they are looking for. Um, Shameless plug, right? (laughs) Yeah, very shameless because, you know, I don't know anybody that does what you do. Yeah. I don't know anybody that does what you do. And that's so, what you're doing is so important because- there are those people, I, I honestly, I have a process for, I don't want to say weeding out those kinds of people, but if I meet with you one-on-one and you've already decided that I can't help you because you don't believe in functional medicine, then I'm not going to work with you because you've already made that decision. You're not, I'm not going to be able to help you because you've already decided that. Um, and I have to turn those people away. But what if I could take those people and say, okay, you know what? you are just having some mental roadblocks right now. And we need Mm. to take you from this fixed mindset to this growth mindset. I'm having, you know, that's a skill set that obviously I don't have myself. Mm. And I'm just kind of saying, I'm I'm sorry, I'm not a good fit for you. Right. Um, And I, and I hate that because those people are people that I probably could help if I could, you know, get them to change their mindset. Or they get to the plateau, right? Where they're Uh showing all this improvement and then it just starts- you know, maybe, maybe it starts decreasing or maybe it just plateaus and then they stop and they give up and they lose their faith. And it's like, okay, now I'm not training people to do their jobs, right? What I'm doing is giving them the education and the uh, background knowledge based on empirical data base. I'm very science-driven. My I'm Western medicine trained it, you know, my PhD is from Johns Hopkins. I have the background knowledge that I'm just giving you and teaching you how to find it as well. So that now you have, you know, instead of, if somebody says to me, oh, let's work on your growth mindset, I, you know, it's kind of too woo woo for me, even though that's what you're doing. But now all of a sudden you can say, well, look, this is what's actually happening. Let's talk about neuroplasticity. Let's talk about changing the connections in your brain. And one way that we can do this is through mindset work. Let's talk about gratitude journaling. Let's talk about positive affirmations, you know, and whereas if you just give somebody a self-help book, they're going to roll their eyes. Not everybody, Right. I now can appreciate it, but five, 10 years ago, I was one of those people who say, oh no, that's not real science. That's just woo woo. That's just, you know, whatever. I need the science, the hard data. And so I looked for it. I found it. And now I can actually convey that information. So those practitioners and coaches and teachers, right, that are trying to help people overcome those roadblocks and obstacles, now they have that background knowledge to be able to say, here's the scientific evidence that what I'm teaching you actually works and is effective. And then you'll have the certification behind it. And, you know, the name of the Academy, the Academy of Cognitive and Behavioral Neuroscience (laughs) to be able to have that credentialing to, to back up your work. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought up this idea of neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. That's, that's something that 
in, in my education, they went, we discussed quite a bit. Um, okay. My background's in occupational therapy. So neuroplasticity is a good and a bad thing in terms of like thinking with somebody that's had a stroke, right? Because neuroplasticity is going to choose the path of least resistance. So one of oh, the- I'm so glad that you said that. I just wrote an article and it's all oh. about the path of least resistance. Oh. <laughs> so I'm so glad you said that. I love that. Well, well, so the people that I would work with, so when somebody has a stroke, a, a common symptom of that is, you know, left-sided weakness or right side, you know, we'll just pick the left side of the body. So one of the potential treatments that is evidence-based is something called constraint-induced movement therapy. So if your left side is weak, I'm going to block your right arm from, from being able to move so that you are forced to use mm -hmm. your left hand because your brain is going to remap and forget that the left side of your body exists, even though it's there, even though it's still functional, it can still work. It's just the path of least resistance to use that right arm. And so that spoke to me when, when you were talking about neuroplasticity of, I'm sure that applies in behaviors too. Well, oh, absolutely. It's, it's a lot easier for me to do X, Y, Z unwanted behaviors because they're easy versus, you know, so one of the, one of the strategies that comes to mind for me is, you know, if it's really hard for you to go to the gym, we'll put your gym shoes in your car so that they're already, they're mm. there for you, you know, and it makes going to the gym easier, make the habit that you want to do easier to do and the habit that you don't want to do harder to do. And so that was, and just those are some really good behavioral tricks and hacks to be able to do it. But what makes neuroplasticity even more effective is if you tie an emotion to it, that's one mm -hmm. thing, right? So instead, yes, behaviorally, you can put your gym shoes in the car, but still you have to actually go to the gym and you still have to work out. Right. And that's, it's not easy. Sure. Your gym clothes are there. That's one step that's easier. But then if you really start visualizing how you're going to feel after working out or how you're going to feel months from now when you're not moaning, when you need to get off the couch to go play with your kids or how you're going to feel 10 years from now, when you get to walk your daughter or son down the aisle or see them at graduation, right? You really tie that emotion to it. Then it mm -hmm. makes it that much easier to make those connections. That's one way that you can increase neuroplasticity. And I love the concept of going along the path of least resistance. So imagine a stream flowing down a mountain, right? That's the path of least resistance. It's going to go down. But now if all of a sudden you need that water to go up to the top of the mountain, that's not a natural thing. It's not, it's going to have a lot of resistance to do that. So if you have somebody who every single day they're just laying on the couch or they're eating Oreos or Cheetos or whatever it is that they're doing because that's just what they've always done. And that's the habit. And that is the path of least resistance. Now all of a sudden you're telling them to eat celery and, you know, do all these that are completely opposite. They're going to actually feel that resistance, mm -hmm. right? They might all, they might get that dopamine rush in the beginning that can kind of mask it. And yeah, this is really great. You know, I, I don't know how many clients that you've had. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a pretty large percentage that they're all gung ho in the beginning, but then as soon as they hit that one roadblock or mm -hmm. that one life stressor happens, and it throws them off, I bet a lot of them don't come back to work with you, right? Or they take a big hiatus and they need some time and they fall back into the bad habits. But if you think about it, everything that we do, we've learned through experience. Our brains are so mold moldable and plastic that everything that we experience in life, good, bad, or ugly, 
the more it's repeated, the stronger those connections become. So if you were raised in a family or a household with a lot of stress, or if unfortunately you've had trauma in your life, or there's drug use in your, in whether in your system or in your household, whatever it is, if you're, let's say, let's use the analogy of stress, because I know we wanted to talk about that. Um, but let's say you, you grew up in a household filled with chaos. And, and you, you never know, like maybe an abusive relationship or you were abused or something like that, that it was not optimal. Your nervous system needs to protect you. It needs to automate your processes. So it's going to teach you to hide from situations. It's going to teach you how to withdraw or it's going to teach you how to fight. It's going, whatever your mechanism to survive, that is going to be the path of least resistance. So when you encounter a stressor in your adulthood, now all of a sudden that is the automatic behavior, those automatic thoughts that have been so deeply ingrained, especially because they were tied to those emotions, very strong emotions. Mm -hmm. And you're creating this pathway that might be maladaptive. That's how habits are formed, good or bad habits through repetition, especially emotions, right? But those bad habits, they're maladaptive. They served a purpose at some point. So understanding and recognizing that, okay, this is a bad habit. Some people really want to focus on the cognitive aspect of it. What caused that? What was the initial trigger? Is this something from childhood? Is this something that you just picked up? You know, understanding the root cause for why that habit exists in the first place can be very beneficial because now you've identified that trigger and you can do something about it. You can eliminate that trigger from your life. You can figure out ways to fix it or remove, or if you can't remove it from your life, then you can figure out ways to cope in a more adaptive and functional way. And mm -hmm. so the first step is that recognition, but then you have to create new habits and new behaviors and new thought patterns that are going to go along the, not along the path of least resistance. It's going to be like going up that mountain and you're going to have roadblocks. You're going to have that resistance. You're trying to create connections that either never were there or they're a lot weaker. It's so much easier and way more familiar to do what you've always done. Because in essence, I mean, your nervous system was there to keep you alive and to help you survive. And it has done a great job right? You're alive. You've survived through all of that chaos. So now it's more familiar to live in a life of chaos. So maybe you find yourself in abusive relationships. Maybe your, your friends are looking at, why don't you just leave this person? Or why, why do you overeat? Why are you drinking so much? Why are you doing all these things? Well, if it's creating stress and chaos in your life, it makes sense because that is what is familiar to your nervous system. It knows how to function in that state. So now all of a sudden you want to be healthy and stress-free. Well, that is not familiar to it. And it's going to look at it as a threat and it's going to be very resistant mm -hmm. to that change. So for some people, it can be very, very challenging to just go to the gym and just putting sneakers in your car is not going to be enough, mm -hmm. right? You have to actually get to that root cause about what's going on. Why is there that roadblock in the first place? And what can we do to mitigate that so that it becomes easier? So that becomes the path of least resistance instead of, having the Oreos or having that cigarette or whatever it is that you're trying to stop doing. Mm. And it's all through neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity can work for you or against you, right? Your brain is plastic. So now that you know that, be empowered to use it for your advantage and make those changes in your life that are going to allow you to thrive and to, to really succeed. Okay. So I want to make sure I understand this right. So okay. Tell, okay. So I'm thinking, okay. So for the health coaches that are listening to this episode and they're thinking, okay, the primary 
person that comes to me is for weight loss. That that's a mm-hmm. common scenario. Okay. So if that coach asks, so instead of trying to make a goal for weight loss for that person, if that coach, that coach is more likely to be successful, if they ask their client, well, why do you want to lose weight? Oh, so that you have the energy to go to the playground and play with your kids. That's tying an emotion. Is that an example of tying an emotion? That's an example of it. Absolutely. And then, but you really want to get the emotions to be really palatable. So it's not only, oh, cause it'll be fun to play at the playground. No, what is it? What's it going to feel like? What's the sun going to feel like on your skin when you're out there? What's the air going to feel like in your lungs? Really tie in all of your senses, make it, Mm. make the visualization, of that so real, because if you keep visualizing, if you keep feeling it, and then you keep having that emotion tied to it, every time you're sweating on the elliptical or you're dreading going to the Pilates class or whatever it is, you can, if you through, you manifest that feeling that you're going to have when you get there. And when you achieve that goal, then all of a sudden it becomes second nature. It's a no brainer. If you look at the smile on your kid's face, when they're spending that time with you and being pushed on the swing, I mean, that to me is motivational enough. Some people, it might be money. Some people, it might be buying a home for their parents or whatever it is. It has to be individualized for each client, but then tying that emotion, figuring out, okay, the why behind it, just losing weight. No, that's not motivational enough for most people. That's why most people give up on their goals. They have these big, oh, I want to look good for this wedding. Well, the wedding is over. Now what? Now they go back to their bad habits because that's what's familiar and that's what's safe. So interesting. (laughs) It's all about mindset, right? I think a lot of times people think about the brain and the mind and they use the terms interchangeably, but they're very different things. They, they are separate entities, right? The brain is the physical structure, just like Mm -hmm. you can have, you know, a you know, somebody who, a gastroenterologist who's studying your GI tract, you can, you have neurologists who study the brain. It's the physical organ of the brain, right? And the nervous system, your mind is what the brain allow, what is allowed to happen from, wait, let me say that again. So the mind is what the brain allows to manifest, right? So it's your perception, it's your beliefs, it's your feelings, it's your emotions, it's everything, right? It, it, being able to process all this information. So if you can, if your mindset is quote unquote messed up or broken, right? Or is not functioning well, if your thoughts, if you're practicing negative self-talk, that's not very good, right? Mm-hmm. It could be because your brain isn't wired correctly. So you can do one of two things. You can focus on the brain health, which in turn can help the mind, or you can focus on your mind, which in turn can actually heal the brain and rewire it that way. So they are two separate things, but they work hand in hand with each other. One of my all-time favorite quotes is that Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Your belief is half the battle, but you still have to have action. Right. You can't just think things. You have to actually do something to be able to manifest it, right? You can't just sit on your couch and hope for a million dollars. <laughs> you have to go work for it too. <laughs> yeah. Another one of my favorite quotes, there is no substitute for hard work. I believe that's John Wooden, I believe. Yeah, um, that's another one. There's so many good quotes on there. So many but good, yeah, I, don't I mean, know the mind is so powerful. You can manifest, you can heal yourself through your mind. You can also feel and experience pain because of your mind, right? Your mind is so, so powerful 
And you can actually quantify it by looking at the brain, the organ itself, the structure, the function of the brain and measure electrical activity. And you can see optimistic people versus pessimistic people, their Mm -hmm. brains function differently. So if we know that, how can we take somebody who is depressed or has anxiety issues or whatever it is and be able to allow their brains to function more optimally, which in turn is going to give them that better outlook on life and allow their minds to also function more optimally. Hmm. You've given us a lot to chew on here. Uh, So you've started to talk about stress. Can you tell us a little bit more about, and this was actually one of, one of the listener questions. So I'll, I'll just ask about stress and the role that it plays on behavior change. And then I'll go into the, this is a more nuanced question from the listener. So I'll I'll dive into that next. So stress, we have a stress response that is adaptive. That's been conserved through evolution, right? I mean, you always go back, you always hear about the fight flight or freeze response, right? And so if you have a saber-toothed tiger charging towards you, they can wave back our ancestors, you Mm -hmm. have to survive. So you're either going to hide, you're going to attack it, you're going to run away, you're going to freeze and play dead. Like those are really your options for it, right? Now, we have our nervous system set up in such a way to optimize our thoughts and behaviors because we can't analyze and interpret every single situation. If there's a tiger hidden behind three trees, right? And you can see its head and you can see its tail. You don't want to have to look at three pieces of the tiger and then try to figure out, you know, cognitively what's going on. Automatically, our nervous system looks at the scene and creates, fills in the blanks for us. It's optimized. It it is very adaptive Mm -hmm. to be able to do that. So when we have any kind of stressor in our life that we interpret as a threat. And that is a very big piece to the puzzle because Mm -hmm. stressors we can't control. Stressors are going to happen to us, whether we want them or not. There's no hiding from stressors Mm -hmm. in our life. Stressors can be good or bad too, by the way. But the first step is if we evaluate it as a threat, we're automatically going to allow our stress response system to protect us, to keep us safe. Now, if we evaluate it as a challenge, that's a completely different set of brain mechanisms that are going to happen to allow you to really be more aroused and focused to be able to work through those challenges in your life. Same stressor, your interpretation of it is different. But if you view it and you appraise it as a threat, you're going to activate the stress response system. And there's two systems that are activated. One is activating our sympathetic nervous system, which is otherwise known as our fight or flight response, right? We're going to increase our heart rate. Our uh, breathing rate's going to increase. Our sweating is going to increase. We're going to slow down our, our digestion, you know, our immune system is going to slow down all of these things, because who cares if we're fighting off the common cold, or if we're digesting that pizza that we just consumed, if that tiger or bear or gunman or fire is immediately in front of us. And it's a threat. We don't care about that. We need to survive. So our sympathetic nervous system is automatically activated. And then the other system that happens is known as our HPA axis, which is our hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And it's a slew of chemicals that are released, but the end result is the release of the hormone cortisol, which is a stress hormone, which we actually need. It's a wonderful hormone that we have when it's working properly, right? When you have the right amount of it. And it helps us to adapt to those long-term stressors. So we have the acute stressors, which the sympathetic nervous system protects us from, but long-term chronic stressors or those stressors that just don't go away, 
are really being managed by the HPA axis and cortisol. Mm-hmm. Now, if you continue to have this and you have an overproduction of cortisol, or if your sympathetic nervous system is in overdrive, you can become very hypervigilant. It can lead to a lot of inflammation throughout your body. It can cause a lot of cardiac problems. It can cause a lot of immune, uh, either overreaction or underreaction, depending on your unique um, build and, and body structure or just how you are, your genetics and everything. And so that's not good. We don't want to have our immune system not working. It's one of the worst things. One of the most stressful things you can hear is like a diagnosis of cancer, for example, yet cancer thrives in stress. So when it has that, that environment with the inflammation, it's going to make it worse. So we know that our immune system is intricately involved in the stress response. So that's really what happens during times of stress. But hopefully if your system is working optimally, you no longer have that threat or that stressor in front of you. And now it can go back to normal, but sometimes people get stuck in that hypervigilant state, whether it's through some kind of physical change, like there might be something going on with their pituitary gland in their brain. It could be something physical or it could be something mental, for example, of evaluating every stressor in your life as a threat instead of as a challenge, right? So Mm -hmm. here's an example of how your mindset can actually help the physiological ailments that you might be experiencing because the first stop is, is this a threat or is this a challenge? And that's the first step right there. And a lot of people, I think, overlook it. They just try to fix the symptoms. They're trying to fix the high cortisol. They're trying to fix the adrenal fatigue. They're trying to fix the, you know, the sympathetic activation and put you in a parasympathetic state. Those are all great techniques. However, the first step is why are you viewing that as a threat? Yeah. Is that task at work really life-threatening? Right. right? And so it's really, it's a, vicious cycle though. Cause once you're in that state and if, especially if you have depression or anxiety, it's really hard to be able to rationalize those things. And I mean, I can write a whole dissertation on this, but I mean, there's other areas of your brain that just aren't functioning properly when you're in that chaos and that stress mindset, your prefrontal cortex is not going to be able to make those rational decisions to be able to say, Hey, this really isn't uh, you know, the, the best decision for me, or this isn't the best choice to make in this case, it's not working. Your amygdala, your motion center is making all those decisions for you instead. Mm. And so that's why you can end up falling again into these really bad patterns. So I know that's a long, a long answer to the question, but what is the stress response? It's, it's multifaceted. I mean, it's, it's there for a reason it's been conserved through evolution for a reason, but it can also cause a lot of harm. So we have to keep it in check. And it's so important to mitigate those negative consequences of stress and stressors in our life. Yeah, I really, I I appreciate that you kind of showed both sides of the coin there. Cause I think that we do kind of demonize the word stress and even demonize the word cortisol. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, yeah, you need cortisol just to be able to wake up in the morning. You're not going to wake up if you don't have cortisol. Um, and same about stress, you know, there is such thing as good stress, like jumping out of an airplane, like skydiving, that's a good stress, right? Yeah. That's a, that's well, for some people I wouldn't choose to do that, (laughs) but getting married or having a baby that's stressful, right? But it's a beautiful stress. 
Right. And, and there's, and there's a definite start and an end to it too. Right. Like, you know, that when labor starts, like it's, it's going to finish at some point, you're not in this baby is coming out one way or the other. Baby is coming. So there's, there's that where I feel like people that are in that perpetual state, there is, there is no end time and that's part of the problem. So I like, I like that you kind of touched on, on both sides of that. I, I hear a lot of people talk about cortisol in negative terms and it's not, it's, I'm very grateful that we have cortisol. Cortisol mm-hmm. is, it's a steroid hormone. It helps calm down inflammation, right? Like yeah. if you have any sort of, I was watching this video of a, of a uh, physician yesterday, a, a girlfriend shared it with me. And it was like, think about it. If you have a skin infection, they're going to give you a steroid. If you have a gut infection, they're going to give you a steroid. If you, you know, like uh, he pointed out all these different body parts that you could get infections in and, and what's, what's the common treatment. It's a steroid. Mm-hmm. And, and what is our stress response? steroids. So kind of, if you are missing it heals that, you, it, it yeah. allows you to survive. That's the whole, if you were encountering stress, your nervous system needs to keep you alive. And that is the purpose of cortisol to keep you alive, to allow you to function in times of stress. But if the stress never goes away, then you have the cortisol buildup. That's when you can start having so many different ailments and, and both mental and physical ailments as a result of it. Sure. Yeah. And so many people that saber tooth tiger is just not moving, you know, that say whatever that saber tooth tiger is to them a toxic relationship, a job they hate, whatever that thing is, it's not moving. And yeah, their, their brain is having to adapt. I really, I really like that um, analogy. I think that's, I'm not good at metaphors. So I like when people are better at them than I am and oh. <laughs> things like that. I think that's a really helpful picture to, you know, we all have that thing that causes mm-hmm. us stress. Um, some of us just can keep going and other of uh, others of us, you know, need, need some re rewiring or some remapping to be able to move past those things. So it sounds like that's something that you go over in your course, how to identify those things and kind of, tools. and then how to mitigate it too, because what works yeah. for one person is not going to work for everybody. Right. Some people need the pharma- pharmacological medications because that is just what is going to fit and work for them in their, in their life at that moment. Right. But then other people that might not be ideal. And then there's so many different modalities and tricks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the best fixes, so to speak, is aerobic exercise, for example. Mm-hmm. And because it actually releases chemicals that mimic what those pharmacological medications give you. So you're doing naturally what those prescription medications do. So, and, you know, I can go into the details of it. It is something that we cover throughout the certification program, but to really figure out what's going to work best for your client, right? Maybe they are not going to start working out yet. So maybe you need to, you know, try mindfulness meditation. Maybe you need to, you know, try just getting outside and getting some vitamin D from the sun. And, you know, maybe there's so many different things that you can try. And I offer several of those tips, but I also know that I'm limited as well. I am not a clinician. I don't work with clients in that regard. I'm an educator, right? So I do rely on my connections for, hey, what has worked for you? And, you know, what have what's worked for your clients in this regard, right? Like I talk to hypnotherapists and say, hey, how does that work? How does that fit into this into this whole big sure. piece of the puzzle, right? And trying to figure out that, all right, I, um, 
interview people as part of the certification program who use psychedelic medications with their with their patients and clients and talk about microdosing and and how that has been beneficial for some. But again, not everybody is going to fall mm. in the realm that that's going to be great for them. So I always tell people to get lots of tools in their tool belt. Because let's say, for example, you are somebody who benefits a lot from, let's say you, you want to go for a run, right? And every time you encounter the stress, it's the best stress reliever for you. you go outside, you run. Well, what happens if you break your leg? Now, how are you going to deal with those stressors that come to your life? You have to have more than one tool sure. to help yourself. You have to have a slew of things in your back pocket for when they work. Okay, well, now you can practice box breathing, or now you can practice your meditation practices. Now you can do this, or you can do mm -hmm. that, or you know, you can take this supplement, or you eat this food, or whatever it is. Have a variety of tools at your disposal that you know are going to work for you. So, and you practice them when you're not stressed so that when you become, and you have that stress reaction, now all of a sudden mm. you have them at your disposal, ready to go. Cause if you wait until you're in that stress reactivity mode, your prefrontal cortex is not going to make the right decisions. Right. It's not mm. going to work. It's you're okay. just going to deal with that stressor in that case. And it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that advice. And it's in, just to kind of add nuance to this, like in the lens of, since we talked about cortisol, I, I work with a lot of women who just aren't making it anymore. Like they are mm. so burned out that their body, like we talked about the acute stage where you're just pumping out cortisol. Well, eventually your body stops pumping out that level because they, okay, the tiger's not moving anywhere and they're just bottomed out. Their cortisol sum yep. is like non-existent. So aerobic exercise would be really hard for them, for them. Cause they're just not making cortisol in the first place. So just starting off with, you know, yeah, box breathing or oh, taking a walk outside in nature or something, even just pick, get a lounge okay. chair and sit outside, <laughs> you know, listen to the birds. You don't even have to do anything. Yeah. Start small and then you'll <clears throat> see the change start happening. And then you can build upon it. You can habit stack and do multiple things, being social, talking to other people. We are a social species. We need that in our lives. And that's going to help with, you know, cortisol misfunctioning and, you know, just in not working correctly, as well as affecting our neurotransmitters to actually make us mm -hmm. feel good in the moment. So yeah. there's a lot of benefits to trying different things. And if one thing isn't working for you right now, don't give up. There's so many out there. You just have to find the right person to give you those tools and to teach you how to do them. Love that. Well, this listener question says, do you have any, do you have any information on the impact diet has on stress and anxiety? Are you still searching for some high quality supplements to help you achieve your health goals? Well, you're in the right place. Fullscript Supplements is your one-stop shop for premium science-backed wellness solutions. With Fullscript, you gain access to a vast selection of professional-grade supplements curated by trusted healthcare providers. It's like having a personalized dispensary right at your fingertips. Whether you're looking to optimize your gut health, boost your immunity, or enhance mental clarity, Fullscript has you covered. Say goodbye to guesswork and hello to evidence-based choices. What's more is their user-friendly platform allows you to browse, order, and have your supplements conveniently delivered to your doorstep. Empower your wellness journey today by joining my dispensary with Fullscript. Inside, you'll have lifetime access to my personally curated protocols that you can use to optimize energy, support your hormones, and finally balance your microbiome. Unlock your full potential and embrace a life of vitality. Visit 
fullscript.com slash welcome slash the holistic house for lifetime access to 15% off all orders. And I know this link is a mouthful, so I will definitely provide it for you in the show notes. All right. I'll see you on the other side of healthy. Are you tired of feeling sluggish and unwell? Are you ready to take control of your health and embark on a journey to cleanse your body from environmental toxins and parasites? Welcome to my Parasite Cleanse course, your ultimate guide to revitalizing your well-being. In this transformative course, you will gain essential knowledge through five comprehensive modules. Module one will empower you to recognize the signs and symptoms of a parasite infestation, bringing you clarity to your health journey. Module two will give you a thorough and crucial pre-cleanse steps, focusing on detoxification and drainage, laying a solid foundation for an effective cleanse. In module three, you'll learn safe and effective techniques to eliminate parasites, promoting a healthier and happier you. Module four explores lifestyle and nutrition practices that will complement your cleanse, ensuring your body thrives throughout the process. And then module five is all about post-cleansing, I'm going to equip you with strategic approaches to maintain your newfound vitality and well-being. But wait, that's not it. There's more. I've included some amazing bonuses to enhance your experience. Learn about pregnancy and breastfeeding considerations in my special bonus module. Also, discover products that boost your cleanse journey, giving you that extra edge. As a special treat, receive a step-by-step -step guide on parasite elimination alongside lifetime access to prescription-grade cleanse products. Plus, to support your detox and drainage journey, you'll receive my exclusive recipe ebook. Are you ready to say goodbye to feeling sluggish and reset your metabolism? Enroll in my Parasite Cleanse course today and embrace a healthier and happier you. Click the Parasite Cleanse course link in the show notes and use the code podcast for $25 off your course as a special thank you for being a loyal listener. I really hope this serves you well. Back to the show. Yes, I do. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a, a huge body of research now that thankfully people are finally starting to take seriously looking at the gut-brain connection and the gut-brain axis. And we have an enteric nervous system. It's a different nervous system. Remember, there's multiple nervous systems, but it really is this gut-brain connection. And the foods that we eat produce the hormones and the neurotransmitters that we need to function, right? And it's funny because even going through my PhD program, and it's from a very prestigious university. This was, I mean, I had excellent training and I knew, and I can tell you exactly the chemical composition and what it looks like to be able to make serotonin, for example. And I know that we have to have tryptophan as the essential amino acid to be able to eventually mm -hmm. make melatonin or not melatonin, yeah, melatonin and serotonin. Um, but I never put two and two together that the foods that I eat are what are giving my body the tryptophan and that amino acid to begin with. I ne it wasn't until I was on my own personal health journey when I was really resistant to change. I was having a lot of anxiety issues. It was actually postpartum. Mm -hmm. I had really bad postpartum anxiety and depression, and I didn't want to go on medications because I was nursing and all of these different things. And I was just, so that was the moment where I was like, okay, well, I have to figure out something else. If I know that these medications are increasing the amount of serotonin that's available for my neurons, 
how else can I increase serotonin? And I was like, well, you know, I figured it out on my own. I was like, why aren't they teaching us this stuff? And then I was like, okay, well, I have to eat more foods that have tryptophan. And what about some of these other neurotransmitters that I might be low in? You know, how can I increase tyrosine? How can I increase choline in my diet? Looking at the foods that we eat. And more than just being able to give you those basic essential amino acids, we also need to look at foods that can cause inflammation because if you're, and and not only the foods, the personal products that we're using on a daily basis, any kind of toxin in our environment that it can get into our bodies one way or another is going to increase inflammation. If you have too much inflammation, it actually decreases the amount of serotonin that you're able to utilize in your brain. And serotonin is necessary for mood regulation. So if you have too little serotonin, it can lead to depression and anxiety symptoms. And so you really want to make sure that, you know, just looking at serotonin, that not only do you have enough of the precursors for it. You have enough tryptophan to be able to make it, but you also want to make sure that you're eliminating some of the things that are going to deplete it. And one of the big markers for that, you know, just different liver enzymes and everything that can happen as a result of having too much inflammation in your body, that actually decreases the production and the conversion of tryptophan into serotonin. So we need to regulate and really make sure that we're taking good care of our gut health and have a really healthy, strong and stable microbiome that's very diverse, Mm -hmm. that we're, you know, not eating the same exact foods every single day. We need to be introducing new, healthy, beneficial bacteria Mm -hmm. and probiotics and, and, and prebiotics into our daily life so that we can have this beautiful or, you know, just so many different organisms that are all working synergistically to allow our gut to be able to do what it needs to do to control our brain. So is stress and the gut, you know, just looking at the neurotransmitter creation and and utilization? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But also if you think about it, when we're activating the stress response and activating the sympathetic nervous system, we're turning down digestion. So a lot of times people, yeah, are, they might complain about a tummy ache, a lot of children who can't communicate yet how they're feeling and what's actually going on in their life, they'll complain of tummy aches or headaches, right? So these are a lot of the systemic results of having too much stress in their life. They go to the doctor for a tummy ache, they send you to a gastroenterologist when really they needed to ask about some of those questions about what might be causing them stress. Are they getting bullied? What's happening in the home? They're not screening for a lot of these toxic stressors in their life and instead just trying to treat the symptoms when the root cause could be stress. So they absolutely go hand in hand. The brain communicates with the gut and the gut communicates right back to the brain. You're singing my love language here. Yes. And there's science behind it. It's not just, you know, me just saying it. there's actual evidence. We can see this. We can see this beautiful communication mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. these two seemingly different systems, right? Why does it matter what I'm digesting for how I'm, you know, seeing things in the world? Well, they absolutely do. They, your nervous system and your digestive system go hand in hand. They, mm-hmm. it, they're all working. This is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about educating people on organic because Mm. glyphosate, you know, in the weed killer roundup in 2003, it's, it's final patent. So it's patented as a metal chelator in the sixties and herbicide in the seventies. And then 2003 was patented as an antibiotic Mm. because it destroys the, the biodiversity in our soil. So your food that you eat is not as nutrient dense as it was in the eighties because GMOs came out in 1996. So 
and, and, and you'll appreciate this with science background. So in medicine, they operate on lowest effective dose, right? You're not mm-hmm. going to give somebody more pain medicine than what will be effective. You're not going to overdose somebody in research. It's no, right? No observed adverse event level. No. Right. So the EPA has a certain number of exposure to glyphosate per, per person per day with glyphosate dose doesn't make the poison. And both of those things rely on this ideology that dose makes the poison. And for a lot of things, that's true. But for glyphosate, I would argue that dose does not make the poison. In fact, there are generational toxicology studies that show that third generation rats not exposed at all to glyphosate, but their grandparents were, they have chronic kidney disease. They Mm. have type two diabetes. They have, you know, and I'm not saying that that this is the cause of all of the health problems we have today. Certainly it's a combination of a lot of things and correlation does not prove causation, but where there's smoke, there's usually fire, right? You're that's where you're going to start looking. And, and so I I love that you brought that up because I think that is so overlooked in modern medicine today, because we just don't like, I wish this, I wish this were, were taught in two places of higher education, kindergarten and medical school, because people don't have basic understanding of biology and they don't understand nutrition and and how, and your body does, you are what you eat. Your body does rely on those things. And so I'm really thankful that you brought up this, this gut brain connection because I, it does add stress yeah, and impacts the way you're, you can process and deal with stress. And I just, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so glad that you have this as part of your certification that you actually talk about this. And it's not only how we process stress and interpret stress, it's how we process and interpret everything in our life, Mm. stressful or not, right. It's going to affect how we view the world. And I'm using the word view both literally and figuratively here where how everything that we are interpreting, if our hormones are out of whack, if our neurotransmitters are out of whack, if we're not having the proper balance of ions, right? If you're eating way too much sodium in your, in your life, or you're having not enough potassium, it's going to not only affect how our heart functions, it's also going to affect how our brain functions. We need a proper balance of these. And when the body is set up and it's working well, it, we maintain homeostasis fantastically, but now if all of a sudden your kidneys start not working well, or your liver's not working well, or your adrenals aren't working well, or your brain's not working well, all of those things are going to create a, 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 the perfect storm in your system. And if you can eliminate some of those toxins through easy habits, right, by choosing organic, or, you know, for me, I thought, so I figured out that when I, at least I thought it was gluten, I don't know, I haven't fully gone through mm-hmm. the testing, but I know that gluten containing foods, AKA wheat <laughs> doesn't work well with my system. Is it gluten or is it the glyphosate and the wheat that we have in our, you know, in, in our yeah. soil and in the foods that we consume? I don't know, but I know that if I choose gluten-free, it usually not always, but it usually doesn't contain any wheat containing products and then therefore Mm -hmm. isn't going to have that additional glyphosate. So Mm -hmm. I've noticed that having a gluten-free diet, but Mm -hmm. I don't want to blame gluten, right? Because I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. the problem, right? But first recognizing and figuring out, okay, if I change the way that I eat, can that change how I feel? Can it change Mm -hmm. how my body functions just in general? And absolutely can. Yeah. Um, do you have time for two, two more questions? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so 
I'll, uh, I'll, I have a question and then I'll do um, my last listener question. What are your thoughts on, I know things like the Enneagram and Myers-Briggs, like those are really popular trendy tools to help people like to get to know themselves better, to maybe try to achieve goals. Like what are, what are your thoughts on those as, as tools or what, what do you think about those? So I'm glad you used the word trendy because that's what I think about them. I think they're trendy. I think they're hot topics. They have no validity or reliability. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't actually use them. You're not going to see them in scientific literature, right? However, a lot of businesses rely on them as, you know, personality tests and profiles. A lot of business coaches will give you that and say, oh, well, you're this color and you're, I mean, I don't even know that much about them because the literature has really discounted them. Um, But I can see how it's a good tool to be able to ask people the right questions to really get them to self-reflect on, Ooh, what, how do I feel about these things? Cause a lot of times you're, you're, no one's going to ask you those types of questions and you don't really take the time out of the day to think about some of those things. So I think as a tool, it can be really great on identifying certain characteristics that you might have and, you know, be able to communicate differently with people who might think and perceive the world differently. Um, So I think that they're helpful tools. Is it something that I would use as a diagnostic measure or predict your success in certain careers and things like that? I mean, still career counselors still do use the Myers-Briggs to some extent, but it's, there's so much more out there that we know that are much more valid and reliable to really be able to get to that question about who somebody is and how can we predict their behavior going forward. And there's much better metrics out there, but of course you have to be trained in how to properly use them, how to properly ask the questions and how to properly interpret the data, which most people, myself included, are not trained in that. Even with a PhD in psychology, I I don't have that training. So, um, you know, it's like you said, it's trendy. If it's getting people to talk about some of these concepts, I think it's fantastic, Um, but it's Mm -hmm. not something that I would uh, place money on and bet money on for future success and things like that. But I know that I'm probably in the minority here, uh, but in the scientific community, we don't really hold too much value on them. Well, your answer makes me feel a lot better because okay. <laughs> I've taken the Enneagram like three different times and I've gotten three different answers. Well, so exactly. Like, See, not... So not only is it not valid, valid, it's also not reliable, right? right. So personality yeah. isn't going to change. It's very stable across somebody's lifetime. So true personality profiles and personality yeah. tests are going to be consistent, whether you're 14 or whether you're 70. Mm-hmm. It's re- that the That's really enough. good ones not only have the validity, but also are reliable throughout mm-hmm. your life. And so that's case in point right there that they're, they're trendy. They're the new hot topic that unfortunately well, me, I think can give it, people the wrong impression. It made me feel like kind of like not bad about myself, but like, I don't, I don't fit into any one of these boxes. Mm. That's how I felt. Like, I don't, I don't fit into any of these. Like there are situations where I can, I apply all of these apply to me in different situations, but none of these apply to me in all situations, I guess. is the Well, that's way. good. You, that shouldn't make you feel bad. That should make you feel like a well-rounded individual who can adapt to different situations. So just well, you are kind. your mindset on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually uh-huh. a good thing that you don't fit into any of those boxes. So I don't, I don't use those things. The only thing that I have found to be um, helpful and, and it's like a short, like five or six question. It's Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies quiz. I don't know if you've heard of her. 
it's basically how do you respond to inner and outer expectations? Okay. And um, like, like, are you somebody who, like for me, I will set a new year's resolution. I won't tell a soul what my resolution is and I'll keep it because I don't need, I respond to inner internal expectations the same way I do external. Also, okay. if I tell a friend, I'm going to meet them for coffee at 9am, I'm going to show up and meet them for coffee at 9am. I'm not going to flake. And so there are right. just like, there are four different categories on how you respond. That one I have found to, to be true for me, but that's a very specific thing. That's how yeah. you respond to expectations, but that's the Look only into one the, big five, um, the big five. Um, and so if you just, yeah, if you just Google big five personality profiles, so okay. there's five categories of personalities that can be measured pretty reliably. And, um, it, the idea behind it is that we all follow on a continuum or a spectrum for each one of those five different personality ah. types. Okay. And then you can see where you fit in. Like, are you really neurotic? Are you really extroverted? You know, and, and everybody's going to have a different balance and there's really quick tests that you can take. I can send you a link if you want, um, that you're just asking yourself, you know, how would you describe yourself? And it's really interesting if you maybe ask your husband or ask somebody else to fill out the profile, about you as well to see if how you view yourself is the same as how other people view you. Um, it can lead to some hairy uh, conversations. I wouldn't recommend doing it over the dinner table with family that you haven't seen it seen in a while. <laughs> Don't do it over a holiday dinner because it can lead to some interesting conversations. But sure. it is really interesting to kind of get a snapshot on how you fit in some of these big five mm -hmm. different personality traits. So it's looking at different traits that you have. And then using that information to maybe, you know, find a good career path for you or what's going to be motivational for you. If you find yourself really on more of an introverted side versus an extroverted side, then, you know, you're not going to fall into certain careers and, you know, more naturally, or it's going to be more challenging. You're going to have more of that resistance because your neuroplasticity <laughs> has made it, you know, the, the path of least resistance is going to be more on that, you know, internal type side. So, um, that's a good one. I, I do like that measure. It's super quick and easy, and it definitely has more validity and reliability than some of those other ones. Thank you. Yeah. That's a great, I will definitely check out the big five. Yeah. Um, final question from listener. Do you have any tips for, um, those dealing with ADHD? <sighs> God, that's a loaded question as well. Cause I'm dealing with that in my household right now, actually. So, <laughs> um, tips for somebody with ADHD, don't be afraid to ask for help and support. Mm. Um, that's my biggest tip. So, um, if you actually have ADHD, you know, and if you have a diagnosis of it, that would be the first step actually get diagnosed because it might not be ADHD. It could be anxiety. It could be something else that manifests mm. in that type of way. So, um, the actual diagnosis, um, unfortunately in most cases in the U S is not covered by insurance, um, to get a true, cause it could be an intellectual disability. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could mm -hmm. be uh, personality traits. There's so many different things that it could be, but if it is true blown ADHD, there are lots of tools that will help you help you stay organized, help you stay focused. And it also depends on if it's impulsivity or if it's, you know, how, how is it actually manifesting both behaviorally and cognitively for you to be able to get the proper tools mm -hmm. for you? Just know that there is help and it doesn't have to exclusively be through medicine. Medications do work great for certain brains that ha that have this need for it, but 
this, the medications that they give the stimulants also, you build a lot of tolerance to them. So mm-hmm. eventually over time, they're going to stop working. And, and then you need to keep increasing the dose until you reach the maximum dose that you're allowed to have. And now if you start taking medication as a child, and now all of a sudden you're 40 and you can't increase the dosage anymore, and you've never learned any behavioral techniques to compensate for the ADHD, then all of those years of medication isn't necessarily going to work as well. Now, a lot of children do outgrow ADHD and ADHD symptoms and medications can help rewire the brain, but also behavioral tools can also help. And sometimes just normal development and just changing the brain, how is it normally does can help children outgrow it. Now, if you're an adult with ADHD, your brain's probably not going to change into, you know, neurotypical because it's already developed into that state. Um, But there are tricks, medications, as I said, can be quite beneficial. There are some herbal supplements that show a lot of promise as well. Some more natural stimulants, for example, can help you with that focus, but everybody's going to be really individualized. So first get the help, get the proper diagnosis to make sure that you're actually treating the right thing. The worst thing that you would want to do is think you have ADHD, take a stimulant, even if it's just caffeine, for example, and then actually the real underlying cause is anxiety, for example, because now that stimulant that you just took is going to make your anxiety worse and it could lead to panic disorder and things like that. So I think the big thing, you know, people throw out the term ADHD or OCD or anxiety or depression, Mm -hmm. and you don't, without the proper diagnosis, you could be actually causing more harm Mm -hmm. to your body, your brain, and your, your mental well-being as well. So it's really important to make sure that you're actually treating the right disorder and that you do a combination. I think the behavioral techniques are going to last a lot longer and aren't going to have the tolerance like some yeah. of the medications will, but the medications work instantly, right? So if you are a parent and your child is failing out of school and struggling and getting expelled and all of these really bad behavioral things are happening. You need the medication almost because that's going to get them on the right track, but you can't just depend only on the medication. You have to do some of those behavioral techniques and treat, treat that throughout your life. Not only when you're doing well in school, right? You want to still be working on, okay, how can you fix the focus? Can we take some days off of the medication? See how you're doing things like that. So Again, another loaded question, but ask for help, talk to somebody who can actually properly diagnose you. And then also talk to your prescribing physician. If you are on medications, make sure that you're taking the right dose, make sure that there aren't other things that you can try instead, a more natural or holistic approach, looking at your diet, reducing the amount of processed sugars, all of these things can be quite helpful as well. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. I don't personally work with people with ADHD, but I have heard just with my mom friends that, um, sometimes that red dye FDNC red yeah. number 40 is, is a common one that they'll know. Yeah. And oh, it my has been linked. Friend. Yeah. There's correlations to it again. I mean, how can you experimentally test, you know, like a, a mother and say, Oh, you're pregnant here, eat a lot of red dye number 40. <laughs> and then 10 years from now, I want to see if your child has ADHD or not. Um, that really wouldn't be ethical, but there are some correlations with the diet that prenatal um, mm-hmm. environment has a big mm-hmm. role in that neurodevelopment. Um, but then also as you are growing up, and it's really a shame because if you look at the foods and the cost of food, at least the perception of the cost of food in different types of neighborhoods and availability of it in different mm-hmm. communities, 
um, there, you, it, it's not surprising that you see higher rates of behavioral problems in certain populations of people when you look at the diet that they are um, subjected to and that they have, there's usually a lot of sugar in those diets and not as nutrient dense. And there might be a lot more of those artificial food coloring and processed foods. And you can see correlations with behavioral problems and a lot of the children in those different mm -hmm. communities. And again, it's a correlation. I'm not saying it causes it because there's a yeah. lot of other factors that can contribute mm -hmm. to it, but it is interesting to actually look at the data and to see, you know, what, what could potentially be a risk factor and how can we mitigate that and really look at it in different communities and different populations. It'd be interesting to see if there are any studies that look at kids in the UK versus kids in the US because the UK doesn't allow FDNC red number 40 because mm -hmm. they consider a carcinogen. So to see like the probability of a child developing ADHD over there, I don't know if there's any study like that that exists. That'd be interesting to look at like different. Yeah. I, I, and it's a great question to have, but then again, the, uh, there's so many differences between UK healthcare system in general, prenatal oh, healthcare, yeah. you know, maternal care, all of these things, the education system, there's a lot of differences. So there's a lot of potentially contributing factors, yeah. both risk factors and, uh, protective factors, but that is definitely something that, and also the perception of ADHD, how likely are they as a culture to sure. actually get that diagnosis? And is it something that they are, I, I'm, and I don't know, I'm not, you know, an expert in, in all things UK, but it, it, I assume that it would be very different than how we are in the US as well. So it's absolutely a fascinating question, but when we're looking at correlations, I think that it's it can be very dangerous because a lot of people will look at a correlation and then preach about how something caused something else when in reality, and if you're looking at empirical data that's research-driven, causation and correlation are not the same thing. So correlation mm -hmm. does not mean causation. And that's a, a big problem that you can see in news media and you know even really good mm -hmm. reputable sources you know, BBC News or ABC News, they'll take a correlational data and then talk about causation. And it's like, whoa, that's not what the research actually says. Let's look at the data here correctly. So, well, any question that I come up with was going to have confounding variables. Of course, that's how my brain works. <laughs> There's going to be. But that's important, and at least you understand that, that and uh, know the term confound. A lot of people don't understand that concept. They think it's just black and white that one, oh, well, here's the one thing that's different. Well, no, let's think about it big picture. There's lots of cultural considerations that could be contributing and could be potential confounds. So it's good that you have that training and that knowledge to be able to realize those things. Well, I have worked in a couple of research labs at universities yes. before, but <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't throw that out there because I don't, I don't even think that that matters. I think it's just, Research research has a time and a place, absolutely, and research is important. But the more that I've learned about research, just in my own spirit experience, I worked at um, an exercise psychology lab at the University of Illinois, and then um, at Washington University in St. Louis, I was part of their human performance lab, which is like a kind of like a biomechanics kind of lab. Oh, cool. Think of it, but like it's so hard to get things approved by the IRB. It's so hard, like that process. There's so many roadblocks to get like to actually doing good research. I, it's just, I, I think it's like, I think that that 
I kind of, I wish that we sometimes made more room for like anecdotal studies or clinical Mm. based studies, observational based studies, because I think we put a lot of weight on research and, uh, you know, politely, like you can make anything, like you can play with stats. I mean, anybody that owns SPSS can play with stats and make something look like it's not. And you have to have a really keen eye when you're reading something, or I even have gone to looking at fund. Well, who's funding this study? Do they have, do they have an interest in this? Because that's been a problem for me lately. And that's one of my critiques of WashU when I was there, they didn't allow us to ever cite sources that were older than I think seven years old. And it's like, well, you're, that's a logical fallacy that older research is bad research. What right. if somebody didn't ask that question in the last seven years? Then we need to rely on something that was. And some of the foundational studies. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and anyway, that's just my thing. My little thing on research is sometimes I think that, that I get a lot of those people on Instagram that are like, show me the study, show me the study. And it's like, well, anybody can have an EBSCOhost subscription. Anybody can do that. Like if that's something you're interested in, I do put, I do put studies in my, I have like a little research highlight, but I think some people put, and nobody, let's be real. Nobody's ever reading the study that I send to them anyways. They just want to see any just citation. want to see that it exists. Yeah. And, and so and that's I'm, something that, yeah, I think it's really important. It's something that I really stress in for my undergrad students, as well as in my academy to teach people how to be intelligent consumers of information Mm -hmm. and critical thinkers, right? Don't take everything Mm -hmm. at face value. Just as, I mean, you can find an article that says smoking is good for you. Sure. You can find, and then at the same token, you can find something that smoking is bad for you, right? And so, and it's not even necessarily about uh, the statistics, right? You can, of course, manipulate statistics, but one of the key things that I teach people, and there's a whole section in my academy about it, is how to find the really good, solid research, mm-hmm. right? And so which search tools to use that kind of filter through and are only going to really show you the good quality articles that are peer-reviewed, that have high impact factor, and all of these things that, because if it's a peer-reviewed journal, the experts have already combed through the statistics and done the hard work for you, mm-hmm. right? So if you're if you're looking at a reputable journal, but if you're somebody who's not trained in neuroscience, for example, how are you going to know if this journal with a really fancy title is reputable or not, right? And there mm-hmm. are certain metrics that you can look for to kind of tease out some of that data and, um, you know, quote unquote, fake news, things that aren't necessarily, that, that can give research a bad name and researchers a bad name. And you can always see where the funding comes from. Is it government funding? Is it, you know, is it coming from a pharmaceutical company? Who's backing that? Is it a, you know, product-based article? And it's like, yeah, sure, you can find all of this data and it's a clinical study. What's the sample size? What are their control groups? These are all questions that will be asked and answered thoroughly with peer-reviewed journal or peer-reviewed articles. Um, But a lot of the articles that are out there that are published are not peer-reviewed, are not ethically sound, are backed by some kind of financial interest. And so, you know, that's why I think it's really, really important to know how to find the articles and then also how to read it and extract the Mm. relevant information. And I think a lot of people get scared of those really scientific technical articles that are really sound research because 
it sounds like a foreign language and, mm. you know, and it's a lot of numbers and, you know, statistics and sure. P values. And it's like, ah, how do I do this? And so that is something that I take the time to That's teach awesome. people how to actually read it so that you can become your own advocate and start doing the research on your own, um, to be able to get that relevant information. That's a lifelong skill. Wow. Well, I didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but no, I, no, but I think it's important. We did. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so many people rely on, on Google and they don't understand that Google's a pay to play platform, right? Like you're seeing the research that somebody paid to get to the top. You're not necessarily seeing. So so having, you know, having a library subscription like EBSCOhost, I think that's what most universities in the United States use. Yeah, but that's subscribed. So if you're not, so another uh, good search engine that's free is PubMed um, Mm -hmm. that I usually recommend for people. So that's um, Mm pubmed.gov and you can access it anywhere around the world, but it is from the National Institutes of Health based here Mm -hmm. in the US. Um, And that's a really good database that, you know, of course, there's there's still going to be good articles and bad articles, but there's lots of different ways to search and filter your results. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have a subscription, if you're not tied to a university um, that has some of the the database um, search engines, there are free ones. And Mm -hmm. Google Scholar isn't horrible, um, but I prefer PubMed over some of those Mm -hmm. other search engines. Um, well, so to, to end with, you've already talked about these, but I want to make sure that we're clear. So you did share with us three tips for increasing your neuroplasticity. You talked about using aerobic exercise. Um, you talked about the strategy of tying that behavior or desired thing to uh, an emotion. Um, and then you talked about the gut brain connection using food to fuel your brain. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in exploring neuroplasticity more, I would encourage you to and I'll put links to her, to Dr. Haley's Academy, academyofneuro.com. She's got some great certification options. I really highly recommend if you are a coach listening and you, anybody can benefit from having a better understanding of how the brain works and using that to your advantage and, and empowering your client with that knowledge to mm-hmm. get the desired outcomes that they are looking for. Because like Dr. Haley was saying, it's not a one size fits all. So you need to have multiple tools in your toolkit. And she has different modules that are really, really clearly and easily to read. I love the way you have this laid out because it's so easy to kind of follow along. And so I really would encourage you to look at that. I will put Dr. Haley's Instagram on, on the show notes as well. So you can follow her on Instagram. She shares some cool things. And then Dr. Haley, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you? I mean, we could talk for hours, but I won't keep you. I know you got a baby to tend to, but um, no, I really appreciate this. I love what you do and I love how you're reaching out and dispelling myths, but then also educating. That's something that I'm super passionate about is, you know, being a lifelong learner and you can learn from everybody from all walks of life. And it's so important to keep asking those questions and to keep pursuing those answers and to find it in unique ways, right? And and another key thing when you're talking about neuroplasticity and changing your brain and healing your brain and healing your mind is repetition. So mm-hmm. finding those things that are going to work for you and continuing to do them, even when you find that resistance is coming up and creeping up, um, continue to do it. The repetition is key for neuroplasticity to actually change those mm-hmm. habits and to create the life that you want. So um, mm-hmm. I encourage people, you can always reach out to me for people listening as well. Um, my contact information I'm sure is in the show notes, but you can also contact me and either me or somebody on my team will reach out 
back out to you. And um, yeah, I would love to hear from you and any questions I'm open. So thank you. Well, thanks, Dr. Haley. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. A long time coming. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. I know. I know. Thank you so much for tuning into my show. I'm really glad that we got to share this time together today. If you enjoyed the episode, there are two things you can do. First, you can share it directly with a family member or a friend. You can do this by clicking the share button on whichever podcast platform you are listening on and hit the copy link. You can share it in a text message, on your Instagram stories or your Facebook stories, or in any messenger type platform. You can also, number two, you can leave a review. Leaving a review helps the podcast rank higher in visibility on, on Apple Podcasts. And hey, you never know when I'm going to read your review in my podcast intro. Remember to check the show notes for any important links that you may want to grab and be sure to friend me on Instagram where we can connect and have some fun. Okay, that's all for today. Time to get back to the real world. Be well and be kind.